Welcome to Takeaways, Life Lessons Learned. I'm your host, Hayam Mizrahi, recording from MDL Group. Recognized market leaders in commercial real estate brokerage and property management in Las Vegas, Nevada. Join me as I explore my takeaways from the people who have influenced me the most. Let's get started. Hello, everyone. This is Hayam Mizrahi here with the Takeaways Podcast. My first guest, Rick Myers, president of Thomas and Mac Development Group. Rick, you're the past president of Southern Nevada Chapter of NAOP. You're the NAOP. You're on the NAOP National Forums. We'll talk about what those things are a little bit later on in the show. Uh, you're born in LA. Uh, USC graduate, moved to Vegas in 94. You're an avid golfer, proud father of three boys who I met. You bring them to industry events. Rick, thanks for being on the show. Well, thanks for having me. This is um, kind of a fun, interesting concept that you have going, and I'm very pleased to be part of it. I think it's um, very helpful for all of us in the industry to have these conversations periodically and and um, sort of get out of our day-to-day transactional rut and talk about some larger issues and some um, personal issues. So I applaud you for doing this, and I'm very honored to uh, to be part of your uh, first show. Thank you. And there's a specific reason why it had to be you, and we'll talk about that later on. But spend a few minutes. Tell us who you are. Tell us what you do. Well, I am the president of the Thomas and Mack Development Group. And um, as many of you know, the Thomas and Mack families have been extremely prevalent in Las Vegas. Um, they were, some people don't know, but the Thomas and Mack families were really the, the bankers in Las Vegas and effectively the only bankers in Las Vegas for so many years. Um, in the early days, there was a lot of stigma associated with uh, the whole gaming industry and Sin City. Um, maybe, maybe not the mob, all of these things that were, that were fairly interesting, but they were the kind of thing that might have made some of the large institutional banks say, hmm, I'm not sure I want to be part of that business. So effectively, the, the, um, the Thomas and Mack uh, patriarchs, which is Perry Thomas and Jerry Mack, um, they were the bankers that, that really financed Las Vegas. And, and in the process of financing, they did so many other things that – um, we can talk about, but obviously the contributions that they made to our community resulted in the basketball arena being named after them, and their um, their philanthropy and charitable giving has been so prevalent. If you walk around uh, UNLV, you can see their name on many buildings, and their their contributions are are countless. And I am very um, honored and blessed to be part of uh, of the families. Um, when they sold the bank, um, they have gotten into other kinds of businesses, including commercial real estate, in a fairly big way in this town. And I run the real estate for the families. So I actually work in a subsidiary organization, the Thomas and Mack Development Group, um, and I work in partners with the families that have other interests, as you can imagine, um, the families would. So we're involved in every aspect of commercial development. We have office buildings, as many people know. We have industrial buildings. 
We have retail buildings. We property manage all of our buildings. How many buildings? About 55 of these various varieties, yeah. institu- or, uh, industrial, office, retail. And we also have a number of partnerships in town as well. So anything involved in the real estate um, that we do have, the uh, development when the development activities are going on, um, the property management, the leasing and marketing. So all aspects of, um, of commercial real estate for the Thomas & Mack portfolio. Excuse me. That's what I do day to day. So right there, I could probably go in so many different directions. I want to go in so many different directions. Maybe the next time we'll just talk about development and commercial real estate. But this show is about the takeaways that I've learned from the people who have influenced me. And you're certainly one of those people. So I want to just jump right in and ask you, what one thing or event or person has defined or shaped you the most? (laughs) Interesting question. I grew up in Los Angeles and was very, very lucky that um, I happened to grow up fairly near UCLA. Um, I think my parents bought a house for (laughs) $50,000 fairly near UCLA. Those dynamics have changed dramatically, as you can imagine. But um, interestingly enough, in the uh, back in those days, I'm an old man now, so uh, we're going back to the um, to the 60s. um, Coaches of athletic teams didn't make a lot of money. And so they literally in the summertime would teach these camps to the kids in the neighborhood to make some extra money which is amazing, but this was all taking place right in the middle of a a real historic run of uh, championships in basketball um, with a coach named John Wooden. And um, anybody that's my age certainly has heard of John Wooden. They won something like 13 national championships. Think about that in today's context. Somebody wins one, maybe they win two or three, and they're an icon, and John Wooden won 13 championships. Well, he had a, a summer camp. And somebody mentioned it to me, and my mom wrote a check for $110 or whatever it was back then. And I spent um, two weeks, three summers in a row at the John Wooden Basketball School. And this guy is, was not only iconic in, um, in, in his achievements in college basketball, but he was probably the finest man I've ever been around. And, and being part of that was, was uh, watching how he goes about his business and how he does what he does was a huge influence on me. And then as years went on, I got involved in athletics and was fortunate to have a little success in football and was invited to um, play at USC right after they had won the national championship. And there was a guy in those days, the coach of USC, John McKay, um, think of Nick Saban today. Uh, he was of that uh, caliber. They had won two out of the last three national championships, and <clears throat> and I was invited to play on that um, that team, his last team at, at at USC. Anyway, being around those two guys and watching what they did, and we can spend an hour and a half talking about all those things, but it gave me this real interesting um, sort of perspective on on where I fit in things and and where you need to go. And and it kind of goes like this. When you're around those kinds of, of guys and the athletes associated with it, I was on the team at USC, so those were the athletes. There's probably 20 guys on my team that played in the NFL. It was amazing. <clears throat> wow. Yeah. And at the basketball school, a lot of the seniors that were going to UCLA the next year, seniors in high school going to UCLA the next year were there. So there's all kinds of guys that I saw that um, became uh, star basketball players at UCLA. 
when you're around that, you, you, you find this very interesting kind of place in life. First of all, you realize there are some absolute freak athletes out there that are so far beyond what you have any idea. Were you a good athlete? I was a good athlete, but at, um, and I would like to think I was a smart athlete. But I am not six foot five. I am not two hundred and fifty pounds, and I don't, mm-hmm. you know, run a four two forty. Right? I was good enough to um, hang around at USC, and um, and and I, I had some success playing baseball and doing some other things as well. But you sort of say you you find yourself looking at some of these freaks and saying, "What am I supposed to do against a LeBron James? There's no way I'm ever going to be as athletic and as amazing as LeBron James." And, and that has a way of sort of kind of tempering you and humbling you. But at the same time, if you watch how these guys teach and, and how they go about their business, you realize you can get pretty darn good and, and hang around. I can't jump over LeBron James, so why should I even try? But maybe I can pass the ball around uh, LeBron James, or maybe if I get the shot off early, I can get it up over LeBron James versus driving right up against him. And so you kind of realize if I do my homework and I work at things, I can get pretty darn good if I pay attention. But there's always going to be freaks that are so much better, and um, there's no point in me trying to be that person. And that sort of leaves you in this very interesting middle ground, and it applies in business. If you do your homework in business, you can get pretty darn good, and you can get very efficient, and you can accomplish a lot. But there's also the freaks out there in business that you really want to marvel at and you want to learn from. And so it sort of gave me this place mm. kind of in the middle. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I, I relish being in the middle, and that's one of the things I, I saw about you when I first met you. You deal what I call deal from the middle, right? Okay. And um, I don't know how I feel about that yet, but let's yeah, hear what that means. Yeah, no, it's, it's – um, so if, if, you, if you think you know everything, you're not going to continue to learn. If you think a, you're a superstar, two things. Number one – you're probably not in the scheme of the freaks out there. While you may be very accomplished in a certain part of real estate, in a certain part of Las Vegas, spend some time in New York City with some of those um, investment bankers and talk real estate, and you see where yeah. you really are. These guys that are that are broker, attorney, architect, designer, all wrapped into one human being that never sleeps, and they're working literally seven days a week. It's exactly right, and 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 you're not going to compete with them straight up. So how do you compete with them in different ways? And how do you learn from them? So if you're never looking up and saying, those are great guys, I want to learn from them, I think you're missing an opportunity. At the same time, you learn that if I go do some, some my homework, and I ask questions, and I continue to grow, I'm going to get to a pretty good place. And once you get to that pretty good place, you have this thing called confidence. And confidence is not artificial. Confidence is earned, right? And, and people that deal from confidence are in a very good, not arrogance, that's different, mm-hmm. but confidence, I think you're very effective and, and 
I have a lot of respect for those people that know they still have a lot to learn, but also know they've they've accomplished. And it's been a good beacon for me to, to play from the middle, to have watched from an athletic perspective, and I absolutely positively apply it to so many parts of my personal life and business. This, I can always learn more, but because I've done my homework, I'm pretty darn good, and it's a great confidence that I think uh, serves everybody very well. And that's what I saw in you when we first met, a guy still trying to learn, but a guy who did do his homework and has confidence and is dealing from a real solid place. So it's a big, long story, and it's an interesting story. And like I say, we can spend an hour talking about, you know, crossover versus lead steps and all these technical parts of sports and what they mean relative to this issue. But um, that was a real foundation for me is, is learning how to deal from there and that's really set the tone for um, the rest of my business and, and personal career. So first of all, thank you for the observation in me. And we'll get to more about that dynamic of uh, how we met and our relationship since then. And we'll also get into a little bit of, of why it's important to have that technical knowledge like you were talking about in sports. But I want to go back just quickly uh, to, to Wooden and, and McKay. How old were you when you were around Wooden? When I was around Wooden, I was probably um, 12, 13, 14. And then McKay? Um, 18, 19 as a freshman in college. And they're both leaders, both uh, very interesting sports coaches. Uh, I feel like they're different, though. Wooden with the, uh, the uh, created and focused on the pyramid of success um, it was more about, I think, from my observation, not having – been with him but what he puts out there is more about coaching you as a human first and then basketball comes second and McKay is known for being very quick very quick-witted and, and sound bites and quotes uh, back before that was popular how were they different from your perspective as one of their students well that's a great observation and and obviously you did some homework the um the John Wooden pyramid of success is one of the most fabulous documents um, there is, and uh, do yourself a favor and go Google it and find it and live it. <laughs> uh, John Wooden was about um, sort of the holistic. He was, he was just an amazing, amazing guy. And, um, and yes, they were different um, uh, in terms of their approach, let's call it. But once you, br- once you get past the personality differences, you realize this almost fanaticism about base fundamentals, of getting the fundamentals. And once you get the fundamentals, then you can go from there. And, and John Wooden actually articulates it in this document called the, the Pyramid of Success. Um, and you can see it as you look at the Pyramid of Success, the building blocks down below and how it builds up. And, um, and of course, it was at different points in my life. But when with John McKay, he just lives it and he insists on it. He doesn't... Um, um, some great stories I could tell you in terms of, uh, you know, you do it right or you don't, or you're out of here. <clears throat> and, and that sets a tone. As long as you do it right, which you can do, you, you have no problem. That was McKay. It's John McKay. Yeah. Okay. And the, wouldn't also, he would send you home if you weren't Oh my clean. gosh. That's right. One of the great stories of all time. Um, and, 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 and 
John McKay more, of course, by the time I got to John McKay, he had won three or four national championships, and, and he left the next year to start the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Right. So he was the man. And, um, and it was interesting. I, I talked to his son, who was also a star football player at um, USC. Uh, years later, you know, a couple months ago, I talked to him, and he said that his dad signed the largest coaching contract in history when he left USC to go to Tampa Bay, the highest salary of any coach in any sport in history at the time. Mm-hmm. $250,000 a year. Wow. Right. Isn't that amazing? But still, still the high watermark back then. The high right? because watermark. Because he was, I'm, gonna, I'm assuming this is kind of going back to your point of dealing from the middle. He was offered many positions with established teams, but he knew that if he was going to set the high, I'm guessing he knew if he wanted to set the high watermark, it would have to be with an expansion team. Yeah, and and I think the timing was right. He'd really accomplished everything there was to do in college. It was a new uh, challenge to go to the NFL, um, and um, and so he how he was um, carried himself at that point from the mountaintop versus what he might have been as a coach ten or fifteen years earlier. But he was always classic Teddy Roosevelt. Um, you know, speak softly and carry a big stick, and that's just the way he was. Uh, John Wooden was much more um, sort of chatty, but to your point, he was as much talking about you as a person as he was about basketball. And then, and there you go, you start seeing these inner relationships. That's how that how you apply yourself to the game, how you apply yourself in in business. And there's so many very successful, not just athletically, but very successful people that play for John mm-hmm. Wooden and John McKay, for that matter, that went on and did great things in business just because of the, uh, of the discipline. So it was so interesting from watching both of them, but what I really got was this issue of fundamentals. Learn specific things. Um, uh, once you have those fundamentals, you, you really have them for life. They take a little extra time. You don't necessarily get them the first minute. Why do I need to look into that? Why should I learn to do that? But once you do, then you start seeing it over time. Wow, I'm glad I learned those fundamentals. So very, very influential people. Humbles you pretty quickly, so that sets a personality tone. Always have to learn. But you know what? If I apply myself, I can do some pretty cool things. So big experiences in my life. And I have, very I have one more question sure. on, on McKay, and then we'll move on into uh, you know, our relationship, how we met, NAOP, DLI, all that stuff. So McKay talks about he, him and Vince Lombardi were very good friends, and uh, Lombardi asked him once, how many plays do you run? <laughs> and he said, I run seven plays. And Lombardi said, oh, gosh, maybe I should add one or two because I only run five. And the, the dynamic between the two of them, you know, both great coaches – is what you were talking about, the fundamentals. You know, people who have dozens of plays or hundreds of plays, how do you have time to really practice them, to get your team to practice them and really be experts at only how, only five plays or only seven plays? Is that Did you experience that when you were with McKay? And how important is that to really just master a few things as opposed to trying to be a jack-of-all-trades? Um. First of all, good for you doing your homework. That's why I'm a big fan of yours. And, um, and it's very true. Um, a lot of people sort of don't even believe me, but the year I played football, you know, if you've played football yourself or you've been around the game, there's a perception of the coach yelling and running wind sprints until you pass out and sweat and toil and all of these things that are part of the lore of football. We see it in movies, we, you know, we see documentaries about it and this drive, drive. 
And I tell people that um, the year I was with John McKay at USC, I never did, and nobody on the team ever did one push-up. They never did one wind sprint. It was sort of the most amazing thing I ever saw. It's they, counterintuitive to the perception. Absolutely. And they were the best of the best at the time. And they, in practice every day, they quickly went to your point, we are going to do a few things very, very well. And not only just the seven or eight plays, which is a little bit um, uh, of an understatement, but you're exactly right. I bet the New England Patriots have 150 plays, and, and SC at the time probably had – you know, 20 plays and probably ran seven of them 80% of the time. But there was... Um, you know, what's interesting about that is, yeah. you know, the other team knows, they should know by by the time they're facing, you know, the McKay team, that there's only seven plays, and yet they can't stop it anyway because the defense isn't practiced at that level. So I'm the offense, I'm, I'm practiced to an expert level on these seven plays, and I will execute them almost every single time, and good luck trying to stop me unless you're willing to practice that hard against me. Uh, that, that's right, and, and it's not only the seven plays, but it's the technique of the seven plays, okay? So the pulling guard, for technical purposes, doesn't need to r round the corner and blow the defensive back up into the fifth row. He just needs to get in his way, and that's a real interesting dynamic. It's football. Blast the guy. Knock him. Make him roll over five times. No, just get in his way. And so now you do seven plays very well. Now you do the techniques of the seven plays very well. And now through flipping formations and doing that kind of thing, you end up effectively running 45 plays, but you're only mm. learning. See what I'm saying? Yeah. You run it to the right with a strong formation. You run it to the left with a weak formation. And so you can get variety. But if you're executing well, and, and the, from the player's perspective, he's learned the technique, mm -hmm. and there's not that many plays, how simple. How many times do you see today guys looking over to the sideline and, and delay a game and the quarterback's pointing, no, no, move over here. How do you keep up with it all? So it's that simplicity that you picked up on that's, that really resonated with me. I don't have to do everything great. I just have to do certain things great. And in that process, I'm going to get to excellence. And, um, and that was what John Wooden was all about. John Wooden started every year at UCLA and every basketball camp telling you how to put your shoes on. He told you how to put your socks on, and he told you how to tie your shoes. I kid you not. And because I was living near UCLA, I could go to UCLA mm -hmm. practices as a 13-year-old and say, he is doing the exact same things that he taught me. And, of course, you can read books about So it doesn't matter this. if you're a 12-year-old boy just learning the game or you're a college-level basketball player. It's here's how you put your socks on. That's right. Here's how you put your shoes on, kind of right. like Lombardi. This is a football. That's right. This is the field. Yep. Those are the end zones. Right. Fascinating. And if you're – you know, you tell somebody, run over here to the right, the first thing they'll do is they'll cross their legs over and run over to the right. And then these guys will tell you, both in basketball and in football, you don't do that. You take a lead step. You don't cross over. And the first time you hear that, you go, I don't, that doesn't make any sense. That's not as quick and efficient. But then you suddenly understand that makes all the difference in the world. If a guy crosses his feet over, you can take one finger and push him over. If a guy <laughs> takes a lead step, you can't move him. And those fundamentals with practice makes a huge difference. So 
There's a theme here, right? Yep. And that's what and we're that's, talking about. It's a great segue into the next part of this, which is how you and I met. Uh, learning fundamentals, well, learning in general, but making yourself better. So NAOP, for those who d- might, are listening and, and might not know, is the Association for Developers uh, here in uh, not just Las Vegas, but, but nationally. And they have a category of membership called Developing Leaders which is a great thing, I think, because I benefited from it. If you're under 35 years old, you can become a member of NAOP for something like $200 a year, which is if you're in the commercial real estate industry in any capacity and you are 35 or younger, it is the biggest no-brainer in the history of the earth. So I became a developing leader member of NAOP, and then the Las Vegas chapter or Southern Nevada chapter started an institute called the Developing Leaders Institute, I don't, uh, the timing was, I'm going to say it was great, actually. The first class was right before the recession, and my class was right in the throes of the Great Recession. And I say it was great timing. First of all, it's expensive if you're an up-and-coming person and you don't have your company to to pay for it. You're paying out of your own pocket. But to spend the time during a recession when you actually have the time, because there aren't deals flying at you from all over the place, learning this business making connections like you and I have, but really getting to the fundamentals of things. That's how you and I met. You were the instructor of the first class for the Developing Leaders Institute. I believe it started in 2007 was the first class, and I was in the 2008-2009 class, if I'm not mistaken. And just a few weeks ago, I came to your recent class for the Developing Leaders Institute because uh, our company is a sponsor because we believe in the program so much. And I got to say a couple words to the students. And there you were. Here you are still teaching the class. And it's the same class. So first, maybe talk a little bit about why you are an instructor. I think some of the influences that you talked about uh, might, might be at play. But what you don't give the whole class away, but fundamentally what you teach and why when they asked you teach this class, you decided that this was going to be the Rick Myers curriculum. Um. There's a lot in there, I know. No, it's all good, and and we're you are you and I are on the same page. NAOP is, um, and we can talk about NAOP in in larger terms as well. But NAOP is really the place where you add breadth to your character and to your career, because this is where you learn so many other things than what you're typically involved in on a day to day basis. I don't care if you're the most accomplished person in the world. If all you do is investment sales or all you do is property management of industrial buildings, there are so many other facets of the business that you may not be exposed to. So where do you get the balance? Where do you learn from other people? And that's NAOP. And so I'm a huge believer in NAOP. I've been involved in it since I moved to town in in 94. And I really applauded the idea of the developing leaders because where do you get the opportunity to go learn these base fundamentals? Themes we just talked about? Absolutely. <clears throat> and, and I know that I benefited dramatically because my mom wrote a check for $110 that she probably didn't have at the time to get me to the basketball school to learn the fundamentals. Unless you sort of step out of your day-to-day to learn those fundamentals, it's hard to pick them up as you go. So if anybody's willing to invest the time and money to get in the DLI class like you and your colleagues were, then I want to do what I can to help out. Because I think there's a few things that I can say that you might not get 
in your normal course. Just because I do something different than you do, not that I'm more accomplished, it's just that I maybe spend my time in a part of the business that you don't, number one. And number two, I am uh, older. I have been around a long time. I have watched this many times. I've watched two massive uh, recessions. Some of us have been through one, but some of us have been through two, and, and you learn from those things. So, what was the first one? 1990, when I, was, uh, when I got into the business. That was the oil, oil crashing? Is that what, no, what caused that? No, this was, um, from my perspective, was, um, and it's interesting, as, it, as it, world events uh, mm-hmm. usually dictate things a lot more than your actual day-to-day business. But to me, at the time, when the, um, the Japanese were investing significantly in real estate in the United States, I mean, just, you know, tons and tons of investment, pricing going up, and that changed commercial real estate dramatically because there was always a takeout buyer. Well, when the Japanese stopped investing, the whole thing sort of fell apart. It, it wasn't as much of a, um, a national issue like this most recent one was, but it, it also had to do with savings and loans to tie it to something specific. From a real estate perspective, I believe when the Japanese stopped investing, that was a big part of it. But if, if people remember, the savings and loan crisis um, was part of that. So the most recent recession was not as much a surprise to me as it was to many because I, I had seen it and I'd seen it deeply in, in, in Los Angeles before I had, had moved up here. But back to DLI, when are we going to learn these lessons Mm -hmm. of global (laughs) impacts and and other kinds of things? And what does a recession do? It changes your world, right? And it may potentially change your career. And it certainly could potentially change what company you're working for. So how do you prepare yourself for a recession? How do you make yourself marketable for when things change? If all you do is, is development and construction, and people stop developing and building things, that's a big problem, right? Now you may have to evolve to asset management and loan workouts and other kinds of parts of the business. So you have to learn a bunch of, of real estate to, to sort of thrive and survive. And so those people that said, I'm going to spend my money and my time and, and be part of DLI, it was just easy for me to say, I'm going to help. And, um, and I have some ideas about this. And um, I think I should teach the first class for some of these reasons that we can talk about. But big fan of NAMP and big fan of, um, of the DLI. And, you know, kudos to you for jumping in and doing it. I think it's a big part of, of who you are. And no question. Part of our relationship. No question. Too. And what's interesting about your first class, so you get asked to teach this class and now you get to decide, okay, what kind of value am I going to provide for these kids? And your class title, I think, is interesting. Introduction to Commercial Real Estate and Personal Development Strategies. Why do you put them together? (laughs) Well, um, I was um, at the table, I believe, obviously, um, when the DLI was being put together and the the classes was put together. And, and DLI, you have a segment on architecture. You have a segment on finance. You have a segment on um, um, marketing and leasing. You have these different segments of the business, which is awesome because that's where you get to learn different sides of the business and sort of the depth of the business. So um, I really applauded that. But at the same time, I said, how does somebody who's never been around 
um, a development project or never been involved in financing a development project, how do they go into a finance class day one without any context? And, and I thought, you know what, I, I might be able to help paint a picture of how all of this plays together, but more importantly, this tone that, that I try to instill in the, in the students is there's many factors. It's not one factor. It's many factors. And I want you to start thinking about things in that context. So when somebody's telling you about architecture, you need to also be thinking, how do I finance that? And when somebody's talking about finance, you also need to be thinking about how am I going to get that built? So it's that balancing, it's that perspective that was really important. And just because I've been fortunate in my career to, to see financing, to see development, to see marketing, to see industrial, to see all these kinds of things, I might be able to put it into context. So instead of dropping somebody right into a finance class, why don't we first talk about so you know where this is going, a roadmap. There's mm -hmm. a lot you're going to learn. It's not just yeah. we're going to learn just this sliver. We're going to learn a lot of it, number one. And number two, if you don't grow personally, even though you've learned all the technical side of it, you're going to be um, falling behind because your personal development, in my opinion, is just as important as your technical development, and that's why I think you need to look all of it. I'm feeling a little, a little John Wooden coming out of you right now. Well, that's exactly yeah. right. I mean, and how— but So it's what's interesting is I've known you for— how many years now? Going on eight, nine years? Yeah. And I never knew about your history with, with Wooden and McKay. And now just thinking back to a lot of our conversations, previous conversations, even this, even the yeah. class, yeah. I could see where it all is coming from. That's so fascinating. Uh, another observation about the class, having sat in it as the student, um, I think I was probably three or four years into the business. I'm a commercial real estate broker. So my world at the time and now is about very transactional. Is it an office property? Is it what am I selling? Who am I selling to? That kind of a thing. And the first part of your class, without giving away all of the, all of the gems, just the overall theme was it matters. And we'll talk about that in a minute. But what matters exactly? And you take us through, hey, this is an office building and this is what you're selling when you're selling an office building. And then this is an industrial building. And you know what? No one ever uh, came to an industrial property and said, um, you know, I really, I really need some visibility here. That's what they say when they go to a retail property. And just those little nuances and what a light that, that at the time for me as the student, what a light was shined for me on, on what it was that I'm doing in my career. And this is a segue now. We'll jump into my specific takeaways from you, not just in that class, but also over the years. And just like you were the first person to really bring things down to fundamentals for me as it related to, hey, this is commercial real estate. You were the first person that really made me aware of stature. And that sounds kind of fundamental here or basic, but you, you first of all said, hey, there's this thing that's called stature. You need to be aware and then here's how you get it. So I'm curious to get your reaction about that. Um, you know, that's the benefit of, um, of being around a while is you watch the development of a lot of different people. You watch your own development. You watch your um, colleagues of the same 
vintage as you and you see how they go through their careers and then you watch young people and how they go through careers and you sort of see how people do it differently. And, and something that I felt just wasn't talked about is, hey, what about you? Who, who are you? Because at the end of the day, you got to get in the front door, right? You, you got to get the opportunity. And through how you handle yourself and uh, how you carry yourself, it's going to make a big difference in your ability to get where you want to go. And, and, and in doing so, sort of help all of us as, a, as an industry get better at what we do. So, you know, you, after a while you learn this, that guy who's such a great public speaker or that guy who's so friendly a lot of that is learned. It is not a gift. It is something that is learned. Back to our earlier conversation. It's a fundamental. You can learn how to speak in public. A lot of people are terrified of public speaking. You can learn it. I can tell you that I've taken professional classes in public speaking. I watch good public speakers and see what they do. I don't just watch him and go, wow, he's good. Mm -hmm. I say, what techniques is he using? And so whether we like it or not, let's face it. When somebody walks in the door, we all make a judgment, right? We don't want to be judgmental people, but we are. And so when somebody walks in the door, you immediately have a judgment of, of how they're carrying themselves, of how they're dressing, and how they're acting. And we make a decision on we, whether we want to do business with that person or not do business with that person. And so uh, the awareness of that, and, and you can change how you carry yourself. You can change your stature, but it is not God-given. And it is something you need to work on, just like you need to work on all of these other items. So, you know, maybe so, I'll go ahead. No, just putting you on the spot a little bit. Yeah. From your opinion, how would you define stature? What is it at, at the very basic level? Who are you? Why do I need to, to talk to you? What are you bringing to the table? Are, are you somebody that I need to spend time with? Are you somebody that's... Um, um, you know, at the end of the day, and this is something that, you know, I tell my sons. They don't like it when I tell them. How old are stuff. they, by the way? I have 23, 20, and 18. And, um, it's and great, great timing in life for that, this lesson. Yeah, it but, is. But they don't like it. No, of course not, as we, as we did when we were that age, too. So, But, you know, again, these are the observations of um, who are you, right? Um, you don't just get to decide what college you get to go to, right? They're making a decision on who they're going to let in. Um, and, and in everything, in, in your employer, why you, why are you going to get this opportunity versus somebody else getting that opportunity? And we may not like that the world's that way, but the world mm -hmm. is that way, right? And in your business, you're, you're pitching to have your company do this work on behalf of a client versus other people are pitching the same thing. So doesn't it really come down to at the end of the day, who are you? Why you? And stature's a big part of it. And, and I think if you, by working on stature, just like by working on finance, understanding finance, just mm -hmm. like w understanding anything, understanding stature and what the pieces are of that is as critical as any other piece. And, um, and I think the, the sort of the big surprise in all that, from my perspective, is it can be learned and you can master it. It's not a God-given thing. So that's, yeah, that's, a good, that's a good note. Obviously, nobody can see me except for you right now, but I've got some papers in front of me and, and a pen, and I wrote down, this is learned. And I think that's, that's interesting. It's easy to look at a Rick Myers or like my partner, Carol Kleinong, for those who know her, and look at them and say, 
Well, you know what? Of course they're successful because they're successful. Right. They, they, they fell on top of the mountain, yeah. which we know that's not how it works. And another thing I'm picking up is there, there are micro skills. If I want to be successful, I want to be a successful commercial real estate broker. I want to be a successful developer, architect, banker, whatever it is. There are micro skills to work on to get to whatever level you decide. And you talked about public speaking and that you took classes on, on public speaking. What was it like? Um, it, w- it was really interesting. Um, th- I was sent to public speaking classes. Uh, when I first moved to town, I worked for the Howard Hughes Corporation. Okay. And, um, and they, they had some very, very savvy leaders that um, understood um, all of this. The, the, you know, the, it was a reflection on their company, how how their employees handled themselves. And because I was going to have a, a role that would be in the public to some extent, um, how I handled myself was important to them. So they sent me to public speaking uh, class. Um, and, um, and I had a couple different um, passes through this, but it was fascinating. Instead of saying it, it is learned, I think it's better to say it can be learned is probably a better way to state it, that it that um, this can be learned. So when you say, I don't have the personality for it, uh, I <laughs> say. And, and what it, just like back to the basics of, of um, basketball, football, finance, transactions, it's those little steps. And that's the first thing you find when you have these professional speaking coaches talk to you. You learn some techniques. And I'll give you a quick one just uh, um, that you, know, you don't think about, right? I don't care who you are, in public speaking, you're going to be nervous. And um, some people think I'm a pretty good public speaker. And, and it's easy to say, oh, well, he's just the natural gift to gab, and he gets up there and it's no big you're, deal. You're like the go-to moderator. Whenever there's a panel, or they need someone that's dynamic who's really going to – you know, get the good stuff out of the out of the panelists. They say, oh, Rick Myers, we got to get him on the on the panel as the moderator. Well, if, if and and because I can sort of handle a room, um, you know, people may have that opinion, which is very flattering, and I appreciate it. But there's learned techniques, and 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 one of them just as a mm-hmm. as a, you know, you're up there, you're looking at a huge room of people. Holy smokes, it's it's overwhelming. How do you? you know, act in that context. What do you do? And somebody said, look, this is, make this simple. This is just a simple conversation like you and I are now having, Mm -hmm. uh, looking at each other and talking. Well, I can do that. We can all sort of do that. It's this big room that we have trouble with. So when you get up there, look at Hyam and talk to him for a minute. And then look at Bill and talk to him for a minute. And then look at Joe and talk to him for a minute. That way you lock in on one person out of this sea of people, and all of a sudden it gets a lot easier. It's just me talking to Hyam. I know Hyam. Do you still get nervous when you go up? Absolutely I do, but I do my homework ahead of time. Mm-hmm. I know what I want to talk about ahead of time. I know that if it goes sideways, I know some questions and things to bring it back. And I also know that if I do my fundamentals – that I can, I'll be able to keep it under control. And one of those fundamentals is once you get up there and get started, find somebody, look at him for a minute. And make it a conversation instead of a speech. That is correct. Look at him for a minute and talk to him, then look over there for a minute and talk to him. But that's something somebody had to point out to me. Mm-hmm. And once they point it out to you, 
then you look at it differently. And the next time you see somebody, a great speaker get up there, you go, look at that. Just a simple little thing that John Wooden told me how to never cross over, mm -hmm. right? Somebody told me to look people in the eye. You know, and I tell people this, I can't remember somebody told me this, but public speaking, the first thing I tell everybody, they go, oh, what do I do? Find the microphone. Right? How many times you get up there and people up <laughs> Whoa, whoa, back off. Or they get up there and they could know their, their topic perfectly, but they get up there and they start talking. You got to find the microphone, right? It's a simple little thing. It's like put on your socks, put on your put shoes. Put on your socks, put on your <laughs> shoes, get into the right stance. Don't, you know, mm -hmm. get everybody in position before you go. Find the microphone, find somebody to talk to, move it around. Little techniques like that, they make a difference. And obviously, there's themes in all of this, isn't yeah. there? Yeah. And this is the, I mentioned earlier why when I thought about doing this podcast, the, the first person in my mind the whole way was Rick Myers is going to be the first guest. And this is the reason. And when you first mentioned this, I don't know if it was in the class or if one of our breakfasts at, at Cracked Egg, you phrased it as, what are you going to say when you get the microphone? That, that to me is a Rickism. What are you going to say? What are you going to say when you, when you get the microphone? What, what's the nuance in that? And I don't know if it's intentional. I'm guessing it is, is the when, not if. But this is, you know, it's, it's a few of the themes that I've learned from you sort of coming together. First of all, stature, know what it is, know what, what you want, who are you, how do you get there. Uh, the, the public speaking is, is can, a skill that can be learned. But what are you going to say when you get the microphone, which, which gets us to another Rickism, uh, being relevant? And I remember you said your workday starts when you get in the car and you don't, you know, you love music just as much as anybody else, but you don't blast the latest tunes of the day. You turn on NPR. Why do you do that? Why is that so important? <clears throat> it, um, it, it, the, sh the spotlight is going to shine on you. It's not a matter of if it's going to shine on you. It's going to shine on you. And what's always amazing to me is if you're the guest speaker or you're the one who's making the presentation, you know going in it's going to shine on you, right? But even if you're ancillary in a meeting, if you're one of 10 people in a meeting, it's quite likely somebody's going to say, hi, I'm, what do you think? And so you have to be ready. And obviously a lot of that comes from sports, right? You better be ready. You better know what is, what is happening and all that. And, you know, I was, I don't know, lucky or whatever it happens to be, but I was the quarterback. So it doesn't start until you go, right? So you're, it, you're the one who's going to pull the trigger on all this stuff. You have to be ready. I was just in jury duty a couple days ago. And they go down and they ask everybody about themselves and what they think about different things in terms of evaluating for a jury. The first time they asked the first guy, I started thinking in my mind, what am I going to say? And every time they ask a different question, I thought to myself, how would I answer that, that different question? It's just preparation. And I think over time what it does is think about in preparing, it's an opportunity for you to learn something, right? To get into the subject matter a little more. You're sitting around a conference table with 10 people. It may not be your presentation, but there's great stuff that's being put out there. Don't miss the opportunity to not you know, engage mentally in it. What is he saying? Why is he saying it? How would I react to it? Because 
it's going to, the microphone is going to come to you. And it, it some, sometimes it surprises me when people are up speaking or wherever it was and somebody goes, what do you think? And it's sort of like... Uh, or, um, deer in the headlights? Deer in the headlights. I don't, I don't get that. It's just preparation. You wouldn't go out on a football field without your equipment on, right? You wouldn't go out there without knowing what you're, what you're doing. And it's the but, same thing but in, in business. You know, in life, a little yeah. different than the football field, you don't always know when that play is coming to you. And, and you mentioned... It could be you're standing in front of the room with the with a microphone or you're in the meeting and you're one of 10 people. And all of a sudden, the decision maker, you know, they don't want to hear the pitch anymore from the lead guy. They want to turn to you, someone who's working in the trenches, maybe and saying, hi, what do you think? Or Rick, what do you think? Or, you know, you're the guy, the runner in the cubicle trying to find your way and you happen to bump shoulder to shoulder with the CEO as they're walking down the hall and they say, hey, Rick, how's it going? What do you know? And that is also, what are you going to say when you get the microphone? And you know, back to the NPR, you talk about two things very strongly. Listen to NPR and read the Wall Street Journal. Of all the media that's out there, why are those two so important for, th- for this conversation? Yeah, and they do tie together. You know, it's, it, it never uh, fails to amaze me when um, I take my boys to a family reunion or whatever it happens to be. And, of course, what's the first thing that, that some family member is going to say? Hey, what are you doing these days? Yeah. I'm in college. Where are you in college? What are you studying? And then afterwards, later, you know, after we've left, my, my boys will go, I hate when they do that. And, and you're like, what do you think they're going to do, <laughs> right? If you go into a business meeting like a NAOP uh, event or wherever you are, somebody's going to ask you, what are you doing? Yeah. Something about yourself. So. Where is the surprise in the, those questions are going to be asked? You need to have your answer. And you know what? You need to prepare your answer. The first day you go to work for a company, you better find out who the CEO is and the CFO and the leaders are. And in, to your exact point, if you ever bump into in the hall, what are you going to say? It, it doesn't cut it to after the fact go, oh, my gosh, I saw this person. I didn't know. know. I didn't yeah. know. Yeah. Right. I mean, there's enough information on any CEO mm-hmm. to say that guy's a golfer. That guy. Hey, did you see the Masters this weekend? There's something that you can know about that person in terms of preparation. It takes 10 seconds to think about it. My CEO is a big football fan. He, he's a Texas A&M grad. Um, I'm going to find out if Texas A&M has a good team this year. And if I ever bump into him, I got it. It's in my hip mm-hmm. pocket. I pull it out and say, Aggies are doing great this year. It's simple little things that make a huge difference. So instead of appearing like a deer in the headlights when you have those moments, you're going to have those moments. Somebody's going to ask you what you do for a living. Someone's going to ask you about something. Just think about it and prepare. And you'll find as, as you go and do that more and more, um, that uh, it, it becomes easy. And that's one of the things I've, I noticed about you is you, you, you had, you've done your homework and you know, you know that there's a lot to learn and there's always a, a thought-through statement that you make when I see you and there's always a question that you ask when I see you. And that's being in the middle. You've thought it through and you've done your prep work, but you also know there's a lot more to learn and I like where you deal from versus Oh, uh, oh, I don't, I don't, you know, that, that kind of thing. It's so easy to do. How can I help all of us Mm -hmm. just by sharing some of these thoughts and kudos to you for doing something like this, where we can put some of those thoughts out there. It's important. What about the other side of, uh, someone asks, you know, what, what do you think about this or whatever? And you're dealing from the, I don't know. You're not dealing from the middle. You're going to the other side of the spectrum and you're dealing from, I already know everything. 
What's your impression of that? Do you experience that much in your line of work? All the time. All the time. And I, and I you know, I'm a, what comes out of John Wooden and John McKay is efficiency. And I'm a, an efficiency <laughs> freak. And um, not every deal is going to happen. But if it's not going to happen, then let's have it not happen soon rather than later, particularly for reasons we know. Mm -hmm. Let's be efficient about what we do. So quick, uh, a quick no is better than a prolonged no. Exactly right. And 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 when when people are pontificating and telling you how it works and knowing all the answers, um, they may not have done their homework on your particular transactions, your particular market. What are the dynamics mm -hmm. here? So the efficiency is a. Um, is a problem. Let, let me tell you a, a little half story that kind of works back to some of the things that you just mentioned. We all will get there, um, but I've been lucky to sit in a number of, of meetings with billionaires and you know celebrities mm -hmm. and CEOs and all these folks. And what's really interesting about those meetings is that the first half hour of those meetings is just talking about what's going on. Really fascinating. And and they want to know what's going on. Even the billionaires, the quote-unquote billionaires, the experts, they kind of want to hear what's going on. And so you sit there and you think you're going to get right into your agenda item and you're going to talk about this one specific uh, you know, building or whatever it is that you're working on. But the first half hour is talking about is the Fed going to raise interest rates? What are you hearing about what bankers are doing? What's happening with um, industrial development overseas? And and you keep waiting to get into this technical stuff, and you're all prepared mm -hmm. from a technical perspective to be a smart guy. And these guys are talking about everything under the sun. And it could be a you know the football game as it relates to the university and what's going on, the dynamics of the university. And so you... They, they get to sit in meetings that we don't get to sit in, right? They, they sit on boards of trustees, mm -hmm. and they sit on the, you know, the Federal Reserve Bank boards, and, and we'll never be able to get to do that. But what's, ha what's interesting is you start sitting in those meetings, you realize, I know what they're talking about. They, that's what I just heard on NPR the other day. Mm -hmm. That interesting thing they were talking about, I saw that in the Wall Street Journal because I happened to look at it. And all of a sudden, I have something to say to this room that has billionaires and top CEOs in them. And that's what they're really after, because they could read the same stuff, and they have their opinion, but they want to hear how maybe you're processing and what your opinion is after reading that kind of a thing. Absolutely. So then they come to you and say, Rick, what do you think? Right. And, and, you're, and you're a completely different animal if you say, yeah, I saw that, and, uh, and yes, it is uh, impacting me, or I did see that, but it's not impacting me. And, and or I did see that, and have you considered this? All of that. Plus, yeah. And what's so interesting about it is there is not a golden key to NPR. There is not a, a initiation process to the Wall Street Journal. Everybody can do it. It's so simple to, to look at those things. It doesn't take much time, and, and, and I'm a huge proponent of it because if the billionaires and the CEOs are talking about world events before they talk about the agenda items, mm -hmm. that's what they're thinking about. You probably need to know about it too, and that's where I get it from. That's why I'm, um, I tell everybody I can talk to, you got to talk to, you got to listen to NPR, you got to read the Wall Street Journal. It'll give you a foundation for your career like uh, nothing else. And I will say this, the when, when the last Great Recession happened, it wasn't really anything based on commercial real estate, if you think about it, right? 
it was a trend that happened in the residential market and some financing, you know, mm-hmm. um, uh, instruments that AIG and credit default swaps and all that kind of stuff that was really impacting it more than than in our business. And and I will predict, and you'll all remember this five years from now, whenever it happens, the next downturn is going to be something not related to our business, not supply and demand, but you know maybe some world issue. There was a, an economist that spoke, I can't remember if you were there, fairly recently, um, Mark Dotzer. Yep. Yeah, and he kind of finished his whole program and said, okay, all that aside, all this commercial real estate trends and facts and interest rates and cap rates and everything, else you know what you need to keep your eye on the price of oil and and huh what well if you've been listening <laughs> to npr you understand what that's about if you read the wall street journal you understand what it's about and when the billionaire mentions the price of oil in a meeting with a bunch of ceos you'll know what it's talking about it's there it's simple it all adds to your stature if you say i read that what do you think those billionaires and ceos are going to think looking over to you hmm, that guy's done his homework I like how he carries himself, and he's in the game. This is somebody that you know I, I want to keep a relationship going with. So they all tie together, but but that's what drove my interest in NPR and um, and Wall Street Journal. And I, I really want to jump into one more takeaway that I've learned from you. It's seemingly simple, but I want to really unpack it. Two words: it matters. And if I remember right, most of the course that you taught us at DLI, that was a recurring theme. And I think, uh, Thomas and Mac, you even created a marketing campaign around it matters. You said it over and over. It matters. It matters. What does that mean? Um, it matters if you cross your feet over on an athletic field. It matters. It just matters. Um, it matters if you no- understand what cap rates are. And if you understand cap rate compression, it matters. Um, What's in a legal document, it matters. I tell my team all the time, people say, well, there's this and there's that and that happened. I go, what's in the document? What is in the lease or the financing, uh, the loan documents or the land sale agreement? It matters what is in there. We can all talk what we want and like to happen, but it matters the, 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 the specifics. How do I get it into a legal document? It matters. You guys can talk all day long and you can shake hands and think you have a deal. And then you go to the attorneys and they say, we can't do that. It matters. And so I think it's, a, it's really a, a way of life. Even, all the little stuff matters. I remember so d- distinctly one of, the first time, one of the first days out on the practice field at USC, we're lining up and the um, defensive back coach goes, Dennis, move up a step. And I'm thinking, that guy ended up playing in the NFL for 15 years. Great player. And I'm thinking, he's 30 yards away from me. What, what does it matter? So he moves up a step. And Wayne Fonts, who became the head coach of the Detroit Lions, says, Dennis, move over half a step. And I remember thinking, how in the world can that matter? Once the chaos of a play gets started and everybody's going everywhere, how can it really matter that Dennis is one step up, Dennis Thurman, or one step over these things matter, and it's a recurring theme. So don't – when somebody mentions, you know, cap rate compression, it matters, okay? When somebody talks about the oil price in, in the, the Middle East, it matters. What goes in the document, it matters. And if you approach things that way, I think you get technically better. I think you look at – it matters what you wear. It matters – I remember my dad walking up to guys and, and introducing themselves, and I thought, wow, he's not that – 
you know, um, outgoing, but look at him. He stepped up in that. It matters how you say hello. It matters how you look somebody in the eye. All of these things matter. And, and if I don't say it, then I'm kind of doing a disservice to the people I work with, to my colleagues, to everybody else. And it's, it's relatively easy to do, right? I can't tell you mm-hmm. to you know, j- have a 40-inch vertical jump. I can't tell you to do a reverse regression analysis that you learn at University of Pennsylvania. But I can tell you, you know, here's a, some thoughts about how to carry yourself and to, what to look at and, and learn to, you know, because it does matter. And that's just kind of the core of who I am. Fundamentals matter. Technical, technical knowledge. Technical proficiency, it absolutely matters. So I, when people ask me if I golf, my answer is I have clubs. Uh, we mentioned earlier, you're an avid golfer. So if you were giving me advice, someone who I've been out, you know, I never really learned anything. I never picked up a book. I never took a lesson. What matters for me, the, the first and second steps, if I want to become a good golfer? Your grip. Your grip. How you hold the golf club. It, it doesn't matter. It is hypercritical. And you have, you don't have... I don't have, most people don't have the freakish body rotational speed that Tiger Woods or Rory McIlroy has. We don't have that. The grip matters. Just, um, I, I can't say it strongly enough. Find the microphone. Find, exactly <laughs> find the, right. Find the club. It, 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 you have to do that. And, and it's very doable. And you, once you do it, you have it for life. It's interesting. My oldest son never learned to play golf. But when he was eight or something, I said, here, this is how you hold a golf club. And he has one of those mentalities. He just learned it. You know, it only took him 15 minutes. But once he had it, to this day, he can put his hands on a golf club. He can't swing. He can't hit a ball. But he has that. And you're not going to be a good golfer, even a decent golfer, if you don't have the grip. And, and forget about all the fancy schmancy. Everything else. And, and after you get the grip, I can show you how to stand. You don't have to have 20 years of hitting golf balls to know how to stand. You don't have to have any background in golf to know how to hold the, the, the club. If you don't hold a football, you know, there's varieties mm-hmm. of holding the football. But in golf, you just look at pictures of Jack Nicklaus and Ben Hogan and everybody across time, they all hold their golf clubs the same way. And then go out with your buddies and watch the guys that are struggling. And, you know, even if they play all the time, twice a week, and they're still 25 handicapped, Look at their grip. It matters. Little things like that matter. And I wouldn't say it so strongly about it matters and technical matters if I didn't think you could easily get it. Mm-hmm. That's why I put such emphasis well, it on it. It goes back to the this can be learned, this too. ties exactly together. So I want to share a story with you. I don't know if I have before in the past. It was 2009. We were not even in the in the very trough of the recession. It was still kind of the... Everyone's figuring out what the hell happened, part of the recession. I sat in your class three hours for the Developing Leaders Institute. I got to meet this new person. And then after, one of the things that they do is they invite the instructor and then maybe some of the board members from NAOP to go have a happy hour with the the developing leaders. Uh, We were at Gordon Biersch over on, on Paradise. And there's, I think, 24 of my classmates standing around us. You were there, maybe a couple other folks. And for I don't know how or why, but you and I gravitated sort of toward the end of the countertop. And we were in such a conversation that afterwards, my classmates were saying, oh, we wanted to come over and talk to Rick, but it was clear that you guys were having a moment, so we didn't want to interrupt. And I want to tell you, from my perspective, what that moment was like. 
I was a commercial real estate agent at the time when literally the market stopped, like we talked about. Uh, you, you alluded to when that happens, sometimes it's, hey, you don't even have a career anymore. You, you leave town, as happened here in Las Vegas. Some uh, div, uh, established brokers just left the market, left the industry. And I'm sort of there thinking, do I even have a viable career? And I, th I don't know if you asked me a specific question or how we got there, but we were in that conversation. And what you gave me that day was really your, your not just your time and attention, but your care. And you offered me something. You said, hey, call me next week. Call me next month. Pick a deal out in the market. Underwrite it as best as you can. Let's sit down. Let's go through it together. And I remember thinking, like, why would he waste his time doing some hypothetical at this point when everyone's trying to survive? But I never forgot that time, attention, and care that you gave me. And... It was really just that that sort of held this this little beacon of hope for me that everything will be okay and we'll get through this. And, and here we are now I'm a part owner in a commercial real estate company after some, you know, evolutions of this company closed and go over here. But I, I never said thank you for that. And I wanted to say thank you for that. That is um, uh, extremely meaningful to me. Um, we can't do everything, but we want to try to help and be good people. Um, that wouldn't have happened if, if you weren't you at the time. And it goes back to the beginning of this conversation. You were a guy that was dealing from the middle. You were not showboating and, and trying to prove how smart you were. You were genuinely interested and in trying to help. You had stepped up to be in the DLI class. You have always dressed and carried yourself as a professional. And, and it's clear in how you do that that you've thought about it. And if you're willing to, um, to do that, then who am I to not help, number one. And number two, I was you. I left um, Los Angeles in, um, in 1994 because I was dying on the vine as a result of a, of a downturn. And so there's nothing more prolific about me. I, I, had, li I had lived that um, and had gone through it. And, um, and it helps everybody if we don't all panic, if we realize there's uh, some reasons why we got here, if we realize there's opportunity that comes out of these downturns, and, but we have to do a certain thing. And if you go and turn around and do the same to others, which I know you have and I know you will, then a rising tide rises all ships. And that's really, to me, what it's all about is making all of us better because the next time we transact business, we'll be dealing from a more um, – productive standpoint we won't be on the fringes showboating or I, I don't want to I don't care about all that technical stuff I don't mm -hmm. want to get involved in it. we'll be dealing from a good place and that will make us um, um, much more efficient so these themes all tie together and you know what the the folks that that thought that we had sort of gone down there that there's a technique to walking over and including yourself in a conversation the, the, if you remember, it's not that we had put our hands up and said, don't. No, anybody. we didn't. We were kind of standing in the crowd, but yeah. That, that's a technique, isn't it? 
right? I'd like to see that guy before he leaves. You know, you, you can find a way to, to, you know, to get over there. It's all part of that. And as I've as said to you and I say to a lot of the people, you know, maybe when you're listening to this, what are you talking about? There's a technique for, you know, breaking into a conversation. It can be learned. Mm-hmm. It, it and and if you're now goes to stature, right? If you're not carrying yourself in a certain way, right? Because you're you've had too much to drink or you whatever it happens to be, you're less likely to be invited into a conversation. All of these things to me go together, and and they kind of make it a lot simpler, right? Do the fundamentals. It does matter the technical side of this. Do work on the stature. It can all be learned of, of you know, of the, the most technical side to how to speak, to how to shake somebody's hand, to be prepared when somebody says hi to you. You know, this guy may say hi to me, and he may want to talk about this, or I know he went to UCLA, so I'm going to ask about the Bruins. A lot of this can be learned. There's opportunity on this, and, and I really um, applaud you because that's what you've been doing is you've been – getting nuggets of information and putting them out takeaways hey everybody this is going on with a genuine and i i believe this a genuine um intent to help everybody we all get better as a city if we learn more and do more and and so i applaud you for this and if you get a bunch of questions after this on what was said today or i get a bunch of questions after this i think that's a great thing and so um hats off to you man i i uh i respected you the first day i i saw you and um i respect you today because i think you deal from that middle place very very well and i think it's important i don't think i could top that so on that note rick myers president of thomas and mac development thank you for coming on the show it was really fun for me to revisit my takeaways there's actually several more And maybe in a few months, you'll come back on and we could talk about things like this can be learned, uh, fundamentals and patience, confidence. I think we have a nice quote that can be a bumper sticker. It's not artificial, it's earned. Rick, I can't thank you enough. Thank you for doing this. I think it's important for all of us in our industry. And um, you are a absolute leader and I applaud you for doing this. I enjoyed it. Thanks for having me. Thanks. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Thanks for tuning in. Thank you for listening. I can't tell you how much I appreciate it. Takeaways podcast is about sharing and paying it forward. If you like this show, please make sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcast and leave us a review. It really goes a long way. And if you really like the show, please share takeaways with a friend. Thank you and tune in next time.